Um, hey, it's good to see you all tonight. Uh, my name is Jonathan. I'm the, uh, I'm the campus minister with uh, Reform University Fellowship, which is, if this is your first time, what you've stumbled into. Um, so we're glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Um, I know it's getting to that. At least I woke up today feeling like there was too much semester and not enough energy left, so it's kind to get a little tired. Um, so I hope you all are well. Thanks for braving the cold and coming tonight. Um, we're, a, we're RUF, so we're, we're a Christian ministry. We're, we're pretty open about that, obviously. We just sang about it, uh, if this is your first time. But we, what we're trying to say is like, yeah, there's stuff in our lives and in our world that is too heavy for us. And uh, it's too much for me, at least, and so we need help from outside of us. And so we are here to look and see how Jesus Christ encounters that um, and helps us in that. So... Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good news that we, we hear in our world today. Sometimes you'll get the good news of a grade report or a good grade. Or sometimes you'll get the good news of a job application or an intern application acceptance. Sometimes you'll get the good news of a crush who texts you back. <laughs> and so we're all looking for some sort of good news. And we believe in RUF that the best good news is uh, that Jesus Christ comes close to us and uh, loves us and empowers us to love each other. And that's kind of what we've been looking at this semester is this theme of relationships is if God moves close to us, how do we then start to interact with those around us? The people next to you, parents, friends, family. Uh, how does the good news of Jesus Christ encounter our relationships? And each week we've been looking at a different topic. This week and next week we're going to look at a really fun one, at least it's fun for me, which is the relationship of how do we get along with other Christians, <laughs> which is sometimes such a mess. Um, I think it's one of the, the hardest things because we think, I think often we come into us thinking like, well, you're a Christian or, you know, I sh you should be easy to deal with or maybe I'm a Christian, we should be able to get along. Or if you're not a Christian, you're like, I should be able to get along with a Christian because they're supposedly following Jesus and they should be easy to get along with. And yet, most often in our lives, I think the reality is that most of our drama, most of the junk that we deal with relationally is between Christians. <laughs> um, our frustration comes from our relationships with Christians. I know that when I'm, I meet with a lot of students each week, and I know that when I'm talking with all of y'all, a lot of stuff that we process is dealing with other Christians. And so what we're going to look at tonight is how does, how does that how does the gospel, how does the good news of Jesus Christ encounter that? And the good news, part of the good news is that this is not a new problem. <laughs> Christians have been encountering this problem since the very beginning. In fact, what we're going to look at tonight is a piece of uh, the Bible, which is very old. 1 Corinthians is one of the oldest books written. And uh, in 1 Corinthians, which was written to a church in Corinth a long time ago, they were in the same spot that a lot of us are, where there's just a lot of Christians not getting along with Christians. And so tonight we're going to ask the question of how do I relate to other Christians? And Paul tells us tonight. He gives us the body, he gives us two problems, and he gives us God's good plan. So the body, two problems, and God's good plan. So if you have a bulletin or a Bible, would you look at it with me? And we'll, uh, we'll read this together briefly. This is 1 Corinthians 12. It says, all these, and it's referring to these, it's referring to gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us. He says, all of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one, that's each Christian, individually as he wills. For just as the one body, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For, for in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. 
For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong in the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the, feet, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts we treat with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, and that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is God's word. Let me pray real quick. Father in heaven, uh, thank you that we can be here tonight, that we can uh, have the luxury of taking a break from studying and gather together with peers and think about how your word affects our lives in college. I pray that you would be with us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we're going to ask how do Christians get along with Christians, and we're going to start by looking at the body. You probably saw a metaphor that Paul uses. And to get that started, I want to ask a question. How did you get to class this morning? How'd you get to class this morning? Come on, on your bicycle. I, it's literally in my notes. Thank you, Hayden. So um, some of you walked, some of you drove, some of you rode your bike. All of you got to class. But how did you know when to turn on iMall when you were supposed to turn? Or how did you know to slow down for the person in front of you? How did you know to listen for the biker that was coming from behind you or the crazy skateboarders going down iMall? Maybe some of you are the crazy skateboarder. Um, <laughs> How did you know where to find breakfast? You used your senses, right? You used your five senses. You saw your, you used your sight, your touch, your feeling, your smelling, your hearing, and they helped you navigate where you were trying to go on your way to class this morning. In other words, our bodies are specially gifted to perform the functions that we need them to do to get through our lives, right? That's a duh. Everybody knows that. Well, that's the image that Paul is using to describe the Christian community. He says it's the same way. Look at verses 11 through 12. For just, verse 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So what he's saying here is he's saying that our physical bodies, with our specialized abilities and senses, that's how the Christian community is also the same way, that God, through the Holy Spirit, uniquely empowers and equips Christians. Now, how does this happen? Well, the Bible tells us that when we trust in Jesus, and we just sang about this uh, in multiple of our songs, when we trust in Jesus, the spiritual word for it, the theological word is we are regenerated. And we see that a little bit in verse, uh, in verse 13. For we have one spirit, we've all been baptized into one body. That the Holy Spirit regenerates us, that means he makes alive what is dead in us. He brings spiritual life to our spiritual death. And when this Holy Spirit does that, he gives us each unique gifts. He gives us all unique spiritual gifts. 
And this happens in our baptism. It's that our baptism is our induction into the people of God. It's God marking us and saying, you're mine. You're mine and you are now a part of the body. You are now, under, you are now a part of Christ. It marks us. Ephesians 3 says, but the grace was given to each one of us. And by that he means a free gift of divine favor. That's what grace is. It's God's love and gifts towards us that are totally free. God gives, he says, grace is given to each one of us, and with that comes gifts, like the ability to teach, or the ability to sing, or the ability to serve, or the ability to bring people together, the ability to make people feel comfortable in a room together. That each one of us, when we become a Christian, we are each uniquely gifted with a unique set of skills and gifts that only you have. So an example, there was a woman in my church growing up who had the total gift of gab. She could talk to anyone at any time about anything. She could talk to anyone. And, and it was like kind of annoying, so she realized that this was sort of annoying. So what she would do is she would go into retirement homes, which are desperately lonely places, where they have no human interaction. And she would just talk at these retired people who are so alone. And sometimes they would talk to her, and sometimes she would just talk at them. And at the end of the day, they would feel loved and heard and appreciated, and they would have a conversation. They would have a human connection. She says, the Lord has uniquely gifted me with the ability to talk to anyone about anything, and I'm going to use that to make a human connection with someone who probably hasn't had one in months. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It's a unique gift. And all of us, because all of this is because God loves you and he loves me. He takes us from the dregs of our depression and our self-harm and our isolation and he makes us alive and he brings us into a community of hope and love and joy and he gives us for it. He gives us gifts. And the shocking twist of all of this is that it's completely free. He doesn't say like, hey, here's a gift. I want you to pay me back at some point. Hey, you owe me for what I've just done for you. That salvation, our physical salvation, our spiritual salvation is a free gift that we get only by trusting in Jesus. There's nothing we do. We just say, God, I'm spiritually dead and I need you to bring me to life, God. And when that happens, the Spirit makes us alive where there was death and he gives gifts where there was poverty. And if that's new to some of you or you've never thought about it that way, I'd love to meet up and listen to, be, to, listen to how you're processing that, uh, what you're thinking. The point is this, that part of being a Christian is that the Holy Spirit makes us spiritually alive and then specially uniquely gifts us, just like our physical bodies are specially equipped. And, that, that, and when God does that, he makes a special community, a very particular physical community of people who are gifted. And our body, just like our body works best and flourishes when all of our gifts are working together, like when you go get a cup of coffee, you can see where Einstein's is. And you can tell, hey, I need to put a coffee sleeve on this so I don't burn myself. And you can smell. When all of those senses are working well, you get a cup of coffee and you get the energy you need. Your body flourishes. That's the same way that the community of believers is supposed to operate. That Christian community flourishes when each Christian is using their gifting. Now, Paul anticipates the problems that come up with that, and so he gives two problems. Look at verse 14. He says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And if the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong in the body. So here's the problem. What's happening here? He says, well, look, there are sometimes Christians who look at themselves and look into the Christian community and say, I don't belong here. I don't belong in this community because I'm not like so-and-so because I'm not gifted in this way. I shouldn't be here. 
I think that's something that we've all probably experienced at some point in our Christian life. Where you walk into a Christian community and you see somebody else and you say, I can't possibly be like them. Or they're better than I am. Or I don't belong in this community. I don't belong in this church because I'm not an extrovert. I'm an introvert. I know I've felt that way. Or I've thought, I can't be in this because I can't teach. Because I'm a woman or because I'm a man or because I'm single or because I'm straight or because I'm not straight or because I'm white, because I'm Hispanic, because I'm tribal, because I'm not Hispanic or I'm not tribal. We all have these things that we say, because I'm not like this, I don't belong in this community. I shouldn't be here. So what do we do when we start to feel that way? We start to pull back. We say, I shouldn't be in this place. I don't belong here. We start to isolate ourselves. We think, I'm not as gifted like her or like him, and so I shouldn't be here. And so we withdraw, we hide, and we isolate. We cut ourselves off from the body. Now, what does Paul say to this person who says, I don't belong? Look at verse 17. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? So I remember when I was in seminary. Seminary is like grad school for, uh, for pastors. So there's some really smart people there. I was, when, when I was in seminary, I had a couple of professors who were just wicked smart. So one of them taught himself ancient Ethiopic, like knew nothing about it, and taught himself ancient Ethiopic because he wanted to read one manuscript. And he taught himself it in three months, like a dead language. And he's like, I need to learn this language. So he taught it to himself. Another professor literally wrote a dissertation so long that they capped the length of dissertations after him. <laughs> on Hebrew word, on Hebrew verbs, like how Hebrew verbs work. He was, they were like, this was too long. We have to cap how long dissertations are. These are the people that, I'm, that I was trying to learn from. And think about it. These are brilliant women and men. But think about if the whole Christian community was like them. <laughs> it would be really smart and really boring. <laughs> really smart and really boring. And yet, how often we think, because I don't know the Bible as well as they do, I don't belong here. That's Paul's point here, is he's saying the minute that he says, he's saying that that how, how can the community function? It needs every sense to flourish. Look what he says in verse 18. This is, this is amazing. He says, but as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. What does that mean? It means that God in his good providence, what is providence? Providence is God's all-knowing perfect plan. God in his all-knowing perfect plan has placed each person where they are for a specific purpose. Now what does that mean for this room? It means that you are not in this room by accident. Tonight. If this is your first time or your hundredth time whether you're a Christian or you're still exploring Christianity or still exploring spirituality, that you are in RUF large group in 2020 at New Mexico State University as a part of God's perfect plan. That God placed you here, and for Christian it means that God has put you here and given you the exact gifts that this community needs for this moment. And here's the kicker. When you say, I don't belong, you're robbing the community of the special gifting that God has given you for that community. Think about if the eye said, I don't belong, so I'm not going to provide sight. The whole body suffers. 
And second, when you say, I don't belong, you're saying to God, God, you messed up in putting me here. You gifted me wrong. You put me in the wrong place. And so I'm not going to be involved. What are the ways that you feel like you don't belong in a Christian community? Is it your race? Is it your gender? Is it your testimony? Often Christians feel like, because I don't have this testimony, I don't belong. Or because I don't have that testimony, I don't belong. Go back to the gospel of the very beginning of what we were singing about. Remember that God does not save you and then leave you to fend for yourself, but he saves you by grace alone, by you simply trusting in what Jesus has done. And and as soon as he does that, the Holy Spirit comes in and gives you unique gifting that this community needs tonight for the good of of the people in this room. That's the first problem. The second problem, look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the, hand to the head to the feet, I have no need of you. What's this problem? This is the pro- person who says, because you aren't gifted this way, you don't belong. This turns it. This is the person, this is the Christian who says, because you don't act or look or behave in a certain way, in a way that I expect you to behave, or the way that I feel comfortable with you behaving, you don't belong in this community. Does anything hurt as bad as when someone says you don't belong? I don't know. We all remember that moment in, when we were in recess and they're dividing up the teams and you're the last person chosen. And it's eventually, it's just big public statement of you don't belong on this field. And it hurts. It really, really hurts. And we carry that hurt with us for at least years, maybe forever. And yet, how often is this what Christians do to each other because someone doesn't meet our expectations of what a Christian should be? And we all do this, y'all. I do this. Conservative Christians do this. We say, I don't need you because you don't preach well, or I don't need you because you don't live a holy life or because you're liberal. And liberal Christians do this, where they say, I don't need you because you aren't woke or you don't care about justice. White Christians do this to black Christians. Black Christians do this to white Christians. Someone who hangs out with Christians all day, sorry, a Christian who hangs out with non-Christians might say, I don't need this community because you're going to get ruined by them. And the other way goes the other way, a Christian who hangs out with only Christians who says, no, I can't, I, I can't be with a non-Christian. They might, they might have an effect on me. We all do this. We look at someone who's not like us and we say, hey, they're, they're different from me and they don't belong in, in the community that I'm in. What's behind this? Behind this is a selfish consumerism. It's saying, it's saying, when we say that I don't need you, what we're saying is that my needs are the most important reason that I'm here. That I go to church or I go to RUF because I want my needs met. And if you don't meet them, then I'm going to ostracize you and I isolate myself. That hurts me as much as it hurts y'all because I do the same thing. We're using other people for what we can get out of them. And if we don't see that, then we're just like, eh, I don't need you. Can I be bold for a second? It's really easy for people to do this to pastors. It's really easy for people to say, hey, I'm going to meet with my counselor or my spiritual advisor, get the spiritual or emotional kick I need, and then move on with my day. But never connect with other Christians. Because basically you're saying, I like my pastor's gifts. He makes me feel really good but I don't need anyone else in my life. You're basically saying, 
I don't need the Christian community. I like what my pastor does. And y'all, I do the same thing. I was thinking about this this morning. I was thinking about literally what I did two days ago at church. How I was scheming about how I would walk around the church building so I wasn't having to talk to certain people. And so I wouldn't be seen talking to certain people. And so I would be seen talking to other people. I was like, oh my gosh. I do the same thing. It's my own selfish, I will use you for what you can give me. And if you can't give me anything, then I don't need you. And so what's the result of this? It's isolation, it's withdrawing, and it's division. Think of it this way. I'll lighten the mood. I think it's impossible to grow grass in New Mexico. (laughs) I've been trying for three years now, and my yard looks like crap. Um, If you've been to my house, you've seen that. And I've started to figure it out. The only way you can get grass to grow in New Mexico is if there's other grass around the grass. That's the only way it can happen. So I don't know how you get the first grass to have the grass around yet. (laughs) I'm getting there. But here's the trick. If you've got an isolated tuft of grass that's just out there by itself, man, it's fried on a July day. There's no way. It needs other grass around it to protect it from weeds, to, to hold the water in. Otherwise, that little tuft of grass that just sits out there in the sand is gonna bake. And it's the same is true of you and me. This is important. If you don't have Christian community as an active part of your life, you will not grow as a Christian. Hear what I'm not saying. Don't hear what I am. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you're going to lose your salvation. Because remember, we're saved by faith alone, nothing that we do. But I am saying that your faith will be weak. And you will go through life a weak Christian. So what are we actually saying when we say we don't need you? We're actually saying God didn't, we're we're looking at another person, we're saying God didn't finish the job. We're saying, yeah, God saved you, but he didn't gift you right. We're saying, God, you messed up in putting that person in this community. In RUF in 2020. (laughs) Oh, it hurts. Do you see how painful that is to the other person, how it harms community and how it's rebellious towards God? Look at verse 24 and 25 again. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Again, Paul goes straight to God's providence, his perfect plan. He says, God has created this particular body with all of its members, some of who don't look like me and maybe aren't as gifted as I am or the ways that I am. And he says, God has done that on his perfect plan in his perfect way for the good of that body, including you. Do you want to know how you can get the most out of your faith? Not by asking, how can I get from you, but how can I pour into you? When you have a community of people who are leaning into their gifting, the way that God has specially equipped them, the whole community benefits. And then all of a sudden people are loving each other and rejoicing with each other and grieving with each other and loving each other and praying with each other, encouraging each other. And we're getting what we all desperately want by giving out of our gifting. Does that make sense? Do you see how the Lord does that? God created you to need your neighbor and for your neighbor to need you. So don't rob them of your gifts and don't rob yourself of theirs. 
God has a plan that's much bigger and more mysterious than ours. God is behind the scenes working for our spiritual and common good. That's what we call providence, his perfect plan. Three times in this passage he says that. In verse 11, the Spirit gives the gifts. In verse 18, God arranges the members. In verse 24 and 25, he composed the body. And all of it is for our good. God's not just putting people into this community to make you miserable. No, he's saying this is for your good that the people here are here. He's creating a diverse gift, gift diverse community for the good of this group. And it's all by his mercy. We don't deserve this. We're so selfish. We deserve to be fried grass on a July day. But in his mercy, he says, no, I'm going to put you around other people to love you for your flourishing, for your joy, for your peace. So what does this mean? How does this apply? It means that all of us need to be involved in a Christian faith community, something like RUF. I'm not saying it has to be RUF. There's lots of great communities on this campus. We're one of them. But I'm saying that for your good, be involved. What does that mean? What do I recommend? I say one to two contacts per week. Come to a large group, but engage involved in a small group. If you can't make those, meet up with somebody. Make a small group. Say, hey, let's get together and read, Bible, read, read, read our Bibles and talk together. Large groups are not enough. You, you need close spiritual peers and mentors who will be meeting with you on a very minimum of monthly, but ideally even weekly, to grow in your faith together. Meet with each other for coffee. Find someone who's different from you and reach out. And if you think that there's no one here for you, then you aren't looking hard enough. <laughs> Not only that, but learn to use the gifting that you have for the community. RUF has tons of outlets for that. We have so much behind the scenes that makes RUF run. And if you're like, what, a, what can, I mean, I would love it for you to say, hey, how can I help? Or, Jonathan, I have no idea what my gifting is. Great, let's find out. I've got tons of resources to figure out how the Lord has uniquely gifted you for the good of those around you. Second, this is even more important, get in a church. Get in a church. RUF is temporary. You're here for four years, some of you slightly more, but uh, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> some of you less, but some of you more. So you're here for four years, you're not, but the church is here for the rest of your life. And the church is the truest form of body because look around this room. There's not, as, there's not a t- I mean, there's diversity, but there's not nearly as much diversity as there is in a church. In a church, you have old people, you have single people, you have families, you have young couples, you have old couples. You have this whole community of uniquely gifted people who God has composed for the good of the community. Different races, different sexual orientations, everyone coming together under the baptism of the Spirit, like 13 says, verse 13, to be united for the mutual care of each other. So last year I went climbing at a, a, a place down that way um, where there's a lot of climbing in Texas. And I was with a group and we were working this rock problem and there was this other group that was climbing with us. And so we were chatting, uh, just talking about life and all this stuff. And she, one of the women in the group, their other group, asks me, hey, what do you do? And I said, uh, I'm a pastor. And normally that's a total mood killer, you know. And she's like, oh, really? What? And I was like, yeah, I'm a pastor at New Mexico State. I'm, I'm, I pastor this derpy community called RUF. <laughs> <laughs> I love you all dearly. And, uh, and she's like, what? I was involved in RUF at, uh, at Alabama. And I was like, what? And so we start name dropping and talking about different campus ministers and people and all this stuff. And, I, you know, and then I asked her, I was like, so do you have a faith home now? And she said, no. 
she got real serious and she said, that was kind of a college thing. I stopped going when I graduated. Friends, it's so easy to kind of to fall off. Say like, I'm all in with RUF now. But if you're not building in the habits for spiritual community now, when you graduate, it's not gonna happen. Because you know what? You graduate, you're gonna be like, graduation's on Saturday, I'm not gonna go to church on Sunday. Next Sunday, I'm still tired. And then you move to a new city, like, I don't wanna go to this church, it's gonna be, I don't know anybody. And before you knew it, seven years has passed, you haven't been to church, and you don't know if you're a Christian anymore. I'm not saying that you're not a saved, but I am saying that you're not a healthy Christian. Be involved in a church. You can come ask me like, hey, where can I find a church in El Paso or in Las Cruces? The Spirit works in all of this more potently than we can when we're by ourselves. Often we experience God's love through others' love. And we can talk, we're going to talk about this more next week. That if you sit in church, you sit back, you listen to a sermon, you treat church like a spiritual TED Talk, you're not going to get the full experience. Don't treat your spiritual life like a TED Talk. Plug in. Join a, a community where you can learn how you have been gifted and grow that way. Trust me, as you do that, your, your needs are going to be met beyond your wildest dreams of community, of love, of joy, of hope. Yeah, it's going to frustrate the heck out of you. And it's going to be worth it. Look again at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Friends, that is good news. That is news that a college campus needs where depression and isolation are rampant. It is the gift of God that we are welcomed and adopted into God's very body together. That is grace and it's good for us. So take full advantage of that. Take full advantage of that. You are the body of Christ. Let me pray.